0: Father, we come before you this morning recognizing that every letter, every jot, every tittle, every spot of your Bible, of your word will come true. We know it as a promise. We believe it as, as truth, as truth that is, is not. there is no error in it. We believe, God, that uh, you proclaimed and you prophesied that one day Jesus Christ will be born, and he was. And you also stated that he would be crucified, and he was, and he would resurrect, and he did. And now, Lord, we are at a point in our study where we recognize that you will return again. And Lord Jesus, we know that with certainty. We know that because, not because of stories that we've heard or because of videos that we watched, but because of your word. The day of the Lord is nigh. The day of the Lord will come. And so, Father, I pray that you help us to be ready. We do not want to be caught without you taking us with you. And so, Lord, we pray and we prepare as we continue on in our study. Lead us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen and amen. Last week, we talked about the rapture. As you vividly saw on the video, something, I don't know if it's going to happen in that manner, but I think it caught our attention, amen? (laughs) And um, the good thing is, is that we are preparing. And we are ready. Open up your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter 5. We are in this portion of Scripture that talks about the day of the Lord. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, as I was done last week, I talked to a few people and, you know, many people says that we've never heard of the rapture being preached like that. We've heard of it happening but not anything like what you discussed. And all I did was read what the Bible said. I give you scripture, I give you uh, background information, and I give you what the Word says. And just like the rapture, there are no signs for that rapture. There are no signs for the taking up of the church. There are no signs for that event to take place or to happen. But all the signs that are pointing to the end time, those are the signs that we are looking at and looking for. And because those signs are getting closer and closer, and many of them are now starting to unfold, We, as we look at the, the rapture, that's the taking up of the church prior to the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, because we're looking at the end time, all these signs pointing to the end time, we have to remember that the rapture happens seven years before that even takes place. So if everything is pointing to the end time, and and if it were to happen soon, today, then that means the rapture has to have taken place seven years before. You see what I'm saying? But since the rapture hasn't happened, we know that the end time is still at least seven years away. But the way history is moving at such a fast pace and just the lawlessness and everything that's happening in this world indicates that that day, that time is coming soon. But prior to that happening, the rapture has to take place. Seven years before that end. Beloved, I believe, as many people do as well, uh, as they did in that day, that the, end, the day of the Lord is near. The day of the Lord is coming. And one day it would happen. The interesting thing is that many people, as I heard last week, many people have not heard uh, of the devastation or the vengeance of God or the wrath of God. Most preachers, what they like to do is be very positive and affirming and comforting uh, because, you know, they don't want to scare you away from that guy talks nothing about vengeance and that's all he talks about. You know, I want you to know that scripture warns of God's judgment over and over and over again and the eternal punishment of the unbelievers. Judgment was a major uh, emphasis on both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament prophets, they prophesied and they talked. God said, change or turn or devastation is coming. Destruction is coming. I, I, I hate the evildoer. Uh, your, your heart is wicked. There is nothing good about man. And, and God would constantly display his grace and be gracious and gracious. And that grace that he displayed on people, that he continued to unleash on mankind, man just took advantage of it. Like say, no, well, God's okay with it. He's got no problem with it since God has not killed me yet until one day Noah and his family were the only righteous people on the planet. And God says, you know, every man's heart is bent toward evil. And he wiped out all of Noah's, fam- uh, Noah's friends and saved his family. You know, in, as much as the Old Testament prophets talked about it, the New, New Testament apostles, they proclaimed it and they preached it. But the person that talked more about the judgment of God was Lord Jesus Christ. He talked more about that than love than anything else. He talked about the judgment and the things to come because he was trying to warn us. He wasn't trying to scare us. He was trying to tell us this is what's going to happen. And so when we get to this point of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, remember, Paul spent a little bit of time with the people in Thessalonica, just a little bit of time, and we've been going through this book verse by verse chapter by chapter. And last week, we found that the people were concerned about their loved ones that had died in Christ. What about those, when when the rapture happens, you know, and Jesus comes and takes us. And and it wasn't necessarily meant to be a theological or doctrinal issue that Paul was addressing. But what Paul was trying to address was the fact that these folks, the people, the family members of those that have died or those that have uh, gone on before them, Jesus, uh, Paul says, you know, they're not dead. They've fallen asleep. And as I mentioned last week, this death that many people are afraid of, Paul and, and the, the Jesus and the, the Bible teaches us that it's, it's asleep. Uh, the word komatorion, they fell asleep, is the word that they would use for a hotel or a resting place. Kind of like when you're a weary traveler and you're, you're moving and you need a place to stop and rest and you look for the best place that you can find it to be able to rest. And last Sunday was very appropriate because we had just finished the kids' day that day before. And many of us were tired and we just wanted to get home. And I just just want to go to sleep. And we looked forward to it. It was a comforting thought. And Paul says, that's the way Christians ought to view death. Not that we ought to be happy about it. Not that we ought to be talking glad about it or even trying to make it happen even sooner. But Paul's point was, you, beloved Christians, you have nothing to fear. You really don't because that day is going to happen yesterday we we held a memorial service for somebody that you know the house was full and everybody got up and said a bunch of nice things about the person and you know, that's just, and, and Paul's trying to get across that, look, you don't have to worry. He wasn't teaching about the rapture, but he says, you know, that, that, that the Lord's going to come. I, I don't want you to be afraid, and I don't want you to be concerned about those that have died in Christ, because for the, the, right at the last trumpet, the sound of the command, the command of the archangel and the Lord himself, and at the last trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise first. Paul says, don't worry about them. They're going up first. And those of us who are left behind, we will be caught up in midair with the Lord. And so there was a concern about the rapture there was a concern about the Lord the day of the Lord because this is the next thing that Paul addresses in chapter 5 he says this and I'm going to read oh, all the way to verse 13 I believe but anyways I'm going to read and then we're going to come back and verse 11 and we're going to come back and uh, kind of go over this we're going to spend some time in this portion of scripture okay we're going to penalt- maybe not a lot of time just I'm just going to probably a couple of weeks because in 2 Thessalonians Paul really emphasizes more the second coming, the things that are to take place. I'm gonna introduce some of that today. And uh, and if you stay with us, you know, these next few weeks as we get into 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, but chapter 2 is the one that kind of opens it up, and we see how the the uh, the six the seven seals that are opened up in Revelation chapter six, and how all of that is being displayed and dispensed out onto the world. And then you have the trumpets, and then you have the the bowls, and and you have all this in the book of Revelation. we're going to go over a lot of that just to kind of clear the air as to what's to happen. Because I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people that are concerned. You know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? How's it going to happen? When is it going to happen? You know, how's it going to all take place? But let me just at least start off right now with uh, chapter 5 of First Thessalonians and verse 1 to verse 11. Paul says this, now, you know, as a matter of fact, when he says the word now, it's, he's changing the subject. Okay, I know you have, as a matter of fact, he says, now, concerning the things that you guys are talking about, the things that you guys are asking about, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anyone, anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, just as you are doing. Father in heaven, thank you for this portion of scripture that should encourage us, that should build us up, that should help us to look forward to the day that you will return. This portion of scripture was never meant to frighten anyone or to scare anybody into submission. It was just meant to encourage those that were waiting and anticipating and thinking that the day of the Lord had already come. So Lord, help us to get a a good handle on this this morning until we start taking it all apart and realizing on the things that we need to look for and what we ought to be doing. So thank you, Father, once again for this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. Scripture repeatedly warns of God's judgment. He does. He's always been pushing that agenda, telling us to be ready, to be prepared. Paul had preached this truth to the people in Thessalonica, and he shared with them the things that were going to happen. Remember, I've said before that Paul was only with them for a short amount of time, compared to how he spent one or two years in Corinth and all, all these other places. And so Paul was run out of town, and uh, he, was, he was kicked out, and, he was, and the people that were left behind, the, the people that he was preaching to, were under persecution they kept telling him, you cannot be listening to this man. He's crazy. He's talking about stuff that, you know, we don't even understand. But Paul had an insight from God. And he said, you know what? These things are going to take place. And unlike the rapture, the the rapture doesn't have any signs, but the end time does. So number one in your outlines, the day of the Lord is unknown. The day of the Lord is unknown. Paul says very first in 1 Thessalonians chapter five verse one. He says, "Now concerning the times and the seasons." In some Bibles, you will have epochs, uh, the times in the epochs or the, the 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 what's what's going on during that that time. It, it, there was two different words: chronos and kairos. Chronos is the chronological time, like right now it is eleven o seven, I think. Oh, well, you know, I can tell you right now, right eleven o four. That clock is a little bit too fast. Somebody moved that on me, huh? You want to get out of here sooner, don't you? (laughs) It's 12 o'clock, Pastor, you got to go. Okay, that clock's 10 minutes fast, or almost, anyways. Then that's what the, the times is, the chronological, chronological time as you go through every day, every week, every month, and, and, and you, you grow once a year and, and the things that happen that time. But the other word, kairos, is the epochs or the seasons. It's kind of like, like uh, you remember you, you're talking about something that took place in your family, and you say, you remember that, that Christmas when uh, when Uncle Uncle Tito, he fell down and he got all drunk, and oh, yeah, yeah, that was like, what, what five years ago? Yeah, that during that time. During that time, remember what happened afterward. You remember how, and you remember all the festivities and everything else that took place. And so you laugh and you enjoy it. And so what Paul is saying here, you know, these things that are going to happen, they're going to happen. They're going to happen. But, you know, one of the things that you have to be concerned about is not worry about what's going to happen. Not worry about when it's going to happen. Because if you remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, when Jesus Christ had resurrected from the dead, and he's meeting with all his disciples and he has uh, all these people, the disciples and many others, 40 days after he resurrected. And, and he's standing on the Mount of Olives and they're all looking at him and they're saying, well, OK, Lord, are you now going to establish the kingdom of Israel? Is it going to happen now? Is this the day of the Lord? Because you've done something that nobody's ever done before. Number one, you taught like nobody could ever teach. Number two, you fed miracles and all these things that have you have to be Messiah. You have to be the one. And, and, and number three, they, when they, they murdered you, you came back. So are, is it now? And Jesus tells them this. They said, well, the, first of all, I, I didn't realize I had the, whole, the whole verse here. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or season that the father has fixed by his own authority. What what Paul or Jesus had said, you know, it's not for you to know. Paul is saying the same thing. You don't need anybody writing to you when this is going to happen and when that's going to happen. You don't need to know. You don't need to have any written information. All I've given you is that it's going to happen. And that's all you need to know. And there are certain things that need to take place when they're talking about these, these things that have to happen. You know, these things that are going to take place before the day of the Lord. The first thing, as I mentioned last week, is the rapture. The rapture according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that we'll look into, we're gonna also see, and we'll see when that you know how that's gonna take place. Paul says to them in 2 Thessalonians 2, well let's turn there very quickly. Just one page over. One page over in chapter 2, verse 1, it says this: now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. You see, they were concerned. And just like you, you hear a bunch of people talking about the day of the Lord. Jesus Christ is coming, and this is when He's going to come, and this is what's going to happen, and this is when He's going to come. And for the life of me, anybody, anybody that says, I know when that's going to happen, should be stoned, according to Scripture. I guess in today's day, they should be shot, because that is heresy. To say that you know when he's going to come. And I'm going to tell you something, and you probably have heard this. Many people have risen up and said, I figured it out, when that day is going to happen. And it hasn't happened. There have been books written about about the time and when it's going to happen, and it hasn't happened. That is blasphemy nobody knows. Jesus himself, as a man, even said, nobody knows, not even the an angels in heaven, not even me as a man knows. You know, that's something that God has prevented Jesus, the man, from knowing. Only the Father in heaven knows. And of course, Jesus knows because he's the one that's coming back. He's got an appointment and he will fulfill that appointment. And so Paul is telling them, says, don't be alarmed. And there are a lot of voices out there, beloved, a lot of voices. This is why this Reading the scripture is very important to you and to your family, to your friends. You need to know the word because you'll hear all kinds of ideas and all kinds of thoughts. And Paul says, Don't, you know, if, if anybody by a spirit, in other words, oh, I had a spirit come to me. I had a vision. I had a dream. I had something that, you know, I heard God speak to me that this is. And you hear a lot of that. There are a lot of people that come up to you and say, you know, God told me. And the first, time, first person that ever says that to you, just stay away from them. Because if God is going to tell you anything, it's right here. That's it. And so thus says the Lord. Yeah, people tell me that all the time. You know, God told me that I couldn't die. And I died and went to heaven and came back. And I died and went to heaven three times, a guy tells me. I says, really? He says, yeah, well, what did he tell you? He says, well, he told me I had to preach the word. Tell people that he's coming back soon. Well, I already know that. He goes, don't you believe that? I go, well, it's not that I don't believe. I'm sure you did something. I'm sure something happened to you. But I can tell you what the Bible says. Well, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that man is destined to die once. And then comes judgment. Well, he says, well, you know how the Bible is full of contradictions. Okay, now I know where you're getting your theology from. You're, you'd rather go through experience of whatever it is you experienced. And I don't know. I mean, he claimed that he had died and gone to heaven, came back three times. You know maybe because he ended up at the wrong gate that 's the wrong gate for you man you, you're downstairs not upstairs huh? and the the, the the truth of the matter is nobody knows that 's what Paul is trying to get across here as a matter of fact the rapture has to happen the next thing that has to happen is the Antichrist has got to be revealed well stay there first uh, second Thessalonians chapter two verse three now let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. There has to be a rebellion. There has to be this, this, uh, this church or this group, this everybody that's against the word of God. And you're knowing that this is happening already. The Bible is out of schools. The Bible is out of the, the court system. The Bible, you can't even preach the word to some people. You can get arrested for it. it it's become now a hate word or hate literature. It's, it's a hate crime if you talk to somebody and trying to convert them. There's even uh, non-conversion policies and laws that are put into place if you're trying to convert somebody from their status of what they believe that they should be. And you're trying to tell them, no, 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 the Bible says this, that you can be punished, it's punishable by law. And the Word of God is being pushed out, but there has to be this apostasy against God, there has to be this this... As he says, let no one deceive you, for the day will not come unless the rebellion, this rebellion that comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The man of lawlessness is the Antichrist, and we don't know who the Antichrist is yet. I mean, some people have called me the Antichrist. No, I'm not. I know that. Uh, Some people have called the presidents the Antichrist, and everybody has an idea who the Antichrist is, but see, here's something that you need to know. Verse 4, he's the Antichrist who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. One of the things that's going to happen in this verse right here, this verse right here indicates that there needs to be a temple in Jerusalem. And right now, if you know anything about the history of the Jews, there is no temple. It was destroyed in 70 A.D., and for the last 2000 years they have not had a temple and they're ready to build a temple and they need to build a temple because well we don't need it because our temple is Jesus Christ he fulfilled everything that the temple sacrifices were to do Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice and therefore by his blood all sin all sin is forgiven we don't need to go to the temple anymore and bring a lamb, bring a turtle dove, bring a weed offering, a love offering, or whatever the case may be, because Christ has fulfilled that law. Remember, Jesus himself said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to make it happen. But see, the Jewish people that don't believe in Jesus, they want to build a temple. And again, I don't know if you know this or not, but they got the material. They got the plans. Uh, I understand that these plans include air conditioning escalators, elevators. Uh, it's going to be very easy to get inside of this temple and move around. It's, it's going to have Wi-Fi, of course, you know. And it is, it is modern, a modern temple for the modern Jew. And the interesting thing is that that temple does not get built until after the rapture or maybe before the rapture. But if you see, and the reason why they cannot build on that temple grounds on the mountain is because the Muslims own it. And in order for them to be able to build on that mountain, they have to destroy the Muslim population. And there has to be this huge war. But something is going to happen where the temple has to be rebuilt because this verse has to come to fruition. This prophecy. Let me read that again. Starting in verse three, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God. There is no temple. So how is he going to take his seat in the temple of God? Well, the temple has to be built. And in order for this Antichrist to take his seat in the temple of God, that temple has to be rebuilt. And so, therefore, this is what he's going to do. He's going to go in. Daniel called it the, the desecration of, of, of desolation. And, and what, what, what he called it was, you know, he's going to desecrate the temple by saying that he's God. You guys worship me. And guess what? People are willingly going to do it. They're going to be willing. They're going to be duped into believing that this is the God that we ought to serve. And then he goes on to say, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And again, he was only there for a short time. And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Let me kind of backtrack a little bit there and explain a little bit of what Paul says. He says, you know, right now, you know what is restraining him. And what is restraining him right now is God, the Holy Spirit. The, the lawless one has not been revealed. You can't see him. We don't know who he is. Some people believe he's on the planet now. Some people believe it's going to be an AI. Some people believe it's going to be, but it's going to be a very dynamic, very uh, very famous politician, one that can unite the whole world together, one that everybody loves and everybody agrees on. Look, he's he's settled all the, the diseases. He's taken away all the, the poverty. He's He's lowered the the price on gas the economy is doing well i mean we're building hey peace peace they're going to be saying they're going to be celebrating like in the days of noah right before the flood they're going to be marrying and giving in marriage it's going to be a wonderful peaceful time next week we'll talk about the man of peace we'll talk about the white horse of the four horsemen of the apocalypse and and so this antichrist this lawlessness this lawless one is being held back and you know he says you know who's holding him back uh he says and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in time for the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work in other words there's all kinds of lawlessness going on all this stuff in the world not only in our country not only in our state not only in our city our city is just a microcosm it's just the the smallest little thing compared to the world it is devastating beloved Just what's going on in this world. And we only get to see a little bit of it. And the news doesn't cover it all. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Who is he? He's the Holy Spirit. What happens? The rapture comes. And when the rapture comes, the Holy Spirit is taken. And because he resides in you, guess what? You get taken too. So Jesus comes back, sounds the horn, says, all right, Holy Spirit, let's go. And as he goes, the dead in Christ rise first. And those of us that are left behind will be caught up with him because the Holy Spirit is in you. You cannot lose your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in you you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And once he who is holding back the Antichrist is taken out of here, then the lawless one is going to come up and say, "Okay, I'm in charge now. And here's what we're going to do. Thank God all those Christians are gone. Thank God those guys were just holding up progress. Those guys just didn't, you know, they didn't care about you guys the way I do. They, I'm going to let you guys do whatever you want, however you want. We're going to make money. It's going to be profitable. We're going to have a great time of partying and marrying. And you can marry whoever you want, as many people as you want, however you want. Don't worry about it. It's going to be just an exciting time. As, and... uh and you know what? People are going to say, well, what happened to those guys? Don't worry about what happened to them. Okay? I don't know how they're going to explain it. You know, this is, not, this is just my conjecture. I'm just thinking out, thinking out loud. I don't know how they're going to explain it away, but all I know is that Antichrist rises up and everybody follows him. Oh, great. great. You know, what about, my, what about my bank account? You know, I haven't been able to get into my bank. Oh, come here. Here, just take the stamp right here. You just take the stamp right here and just you can go to the bank and get all the money you want. Oh, cool. You know, what if I don't want to put it on your forehead? You know, so you can just walk in there and it'll all be taken care of. You know, really, that's it. You just, just come on in. You know, everybody, come on. Every, just, just like a vaccine. Everybody, just get one. Boom. Everybody, just get one. We're already ready for that. If the vaccine shot hasn't taught you anything, it should at least teach you that, you know what, they can mass harass a bunch of people and get them in there to get their boosters. But now you're getting a mark. These are the things that have to take place. And, and you know what? I'm jumping way ahead. Because we're still in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we'll be there eventually. But see, what Paul is trying to get across here, he says, you know, that, that, the, the, that concerning these things, first of all, you don't need to know when that's going to happen. And it's going to happen. But don't worry about it. In, in Matthew 24, verse 36, he says this, because he's talking, in, in Matthew 24, again, next week we'll talk about Matthew 24 and Revelation chapter 6. Those two go hand in hand. But in Matthew 24, Jesus gets asked the question, when are all these things going to happen? You know, can you tell us the signs? And the first sign that he says is, you know, just don't be deceived. Number one, there's going to be a deception. There's going to be an apostasy. There's going to be this, uh, this going against the church, against the truth. In, in a little bit into that chapter, chapter 24, in verse 36, he talks about, how things are going to happen and, and, and it's, it's something like this he says it's going to be like and then he says but concerning that day and that hour no one knows not even the angels of heaven nor the son but the father only and then in verse 24 he tells the parable you know there's this master that goes away leaves his servants behind and he puts one of the servants in charge and the servant in charge starts to mistreat all the other servants And so he says, you know, and as he's mistreating all the other servants, the master shows up and he goes, "Uh oh, you know, now I'm in trouble. And then and then in verse 50 of 24, he says, the master that of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he does not know. And the rest of the verse says he punishes him. And Jesus is talking about his second coming. And he's using these pictures, these parables, uh, word pictures by way told of analogy or to, to get the point across a specific truth. And people are understanding what it is that Jesus is saying. Number two, the, the day of the Lord is unveiled. The day of the Lord is unveiled. Let me, let me describe that a little bit. What I mean by unveiled, it means you know it, it's known. The day of the Lord is going to happen. It'll take place. Paul says to them, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security. In other words, the end time. Is going to happen during a time of peace and security. There's going to be so much. It's just going to be so beautiful, as I said earlier. I'm getting ahead of myself again. But it's going to be such a a wonderful time. And the way that it's broken up, the seven-year tribulation, the first three and a half years are going to be peace and security. And people are going to be saying, you know, look at Noah. He's building a boat in the middle of the desert. There's no water anywhere. What's wrong with him? Come on, Noah, let's party. And they laughed at him, and they ridiculed him, and yet he continued to build an ark for 120 years. Can you imagine? For 120 years, slaving away, not knowing, just understanding that God said to do this. God said, build this ark, build this ark, build this ark, until one day, until one day, God called all the animals together. He called them out. He goes, here, lizard, 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 and then they come, two by two. Come on, camels, alligators, all these All these animals, two by two, two by two. You ever heard that expression? Every time, God never shuts a door until he opens another one. You ever heard that? That day, God shut the door of the ark, and that was it. God himself picked up that door, closed it, and then caused the rains to fall. And at that time, people were trying to get in, but there was no handle on the outside. This is the way it's going to be on the last days. And he says, you're fully aware. He says, the day of the Lord, it's unveiled. In other words, you don't have to be told, number one, you know, that it's going to happen because you, you read, I, t- I talked to you about this. We, we've talked about this. In Matthew 24, 43, he talks about, Jesus is talking about the end time again. And he says, you know, the end time is going to happen like a thief in the night. You see, if the homeowner knew when the thief was going to come, he'd stay awake, but we don't know. Have you ever had anything broken into your house, your car? You know, you wake up in the morning and you go to your car and you realize, oh, my God, they've broken my car. Or you come home from a trip or something and and all of a sudden you realize somebody's been in my house and took my stuff. It's happened to me. See, if I'd have known that was going to happen, I'd have stayed home. Right? If I'd have known that was going to happen, I would have went out, stayed outside with a big baseball bat. Come on. I know you're going to try to, you know, jump into my car. The problem is is what Jesus is saying here is you don't know. And that's how he's going to come back. See, a thief doesn't come back for uh, pleasure. See, when Jesus returns to take his church, that's not a thief in the night. That's like in the twinkling of an eye. It's going to happen like, boom, like in that video. You're going to be sitting there, and somebody's going to be talking to you. All of a sudden, boom, everybody's going to be gone. But what Jesus is talking about here is something violent, something terrific, something invading. It's going to be just so empty on how this is going to happen. And he says here in verse 43, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming... He would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into it's a, it's a it's a powerful metaphor the thief before the day of the night for the day of the Lord now the day of the Lord is talked about in scripture quite a bit and it's the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord and, and there's a lot there's other days that are also spoken about in the Bible and, and very quickly, I just want to go over these i don 't want to get too complicated in this but there's other portions of Scripture that talk about the day of Christ Jesus, or the day of the Lord Jesus, or the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. All those terms refer to the time when believers will receive their rewards in, in those portions of Scripture that Paul is talking about. That's the day of the Lord Jesus Christ when you get your reward in heaven. And then there's also the day of the Lord Christ Jesus, and also the day of God. The day of God is, is a, a totally different concept. But the day of the Lord is the day when the end has come. And we know this. or well, at least you should if you're reading your Bible. Look at Isaiah thirteen six in your outlines. Wail. In other words, cry. Cry out. For the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. In Ezekiel chapter 30, verse 3, it's not in your outlines, but, but follow along if you'd like. For the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. See, the day of the Lord is not something spectacular where we're going to celebrate. Not for those that are left behind. It's a day of doom. Alas, for the day... Uh, Joel says for the day of the Lord is near and as destruction from the Almighty it comes again Joel says blow a trumpet in Zion sound an alarm on my holy mountain let all the inhabitants of the Lord of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming it is near Joel 3, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Obadiah 1, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. And Zephaniah 1, 7, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated His guest And then the one, out, the one verse that's in your outline is Zephaniah. 114 the great day of the Lord is near near and hastening in other words it's coming fast the sound of the day of the Lord is bitter the mighty man cries aloud there it's not a day that people are not going to want to see they're not going to want to see this day it's bitter crying weeping destruction judgment judgment upon those that would not submit to God's will And so the day of the Lord, number three, will be unexpected, will be unexpected. See, when Jesus says the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, once again in Matthew 25, 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day of the Lord nor the hour. In Revelation 16, 15, he says this at the end, the last book, behold, I am coming coming like a thief. In Matthew 24, verses 36 through 51 and and Matthew 25, again, there's some pictures, there's some parables that can give you some information if you want to write that down. I'm not going to go over those right now. But what I do want to go is on on the back of your outline, several signs before the day of the Lord uh, is to take place. Several signs, some of the things that will take place. Now, this is just out of the Old Testament and some of the New Testament. Jesus gives us another list that adds to this list as well. But these are just things that were taken out. Uh, so we can at least start to look at it from what Paul is teaching us and telling us here, that there's some things that are going to take place at the end time. Again, the first thing is the rapture. But there's also, number one, uh, first, there's an Elijah-like forerunner. In other words, the prophet Elijah was one that was constantly warning the people and warning the people and telling the people, God's going to punish you, God's going to punish you. You've got to turn. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from worshiping idols. They were worshiping other gods. They were worshiping all kinds of other things. And Elijah came out and saying, go up, go, go away from them. One of the stories that is very famous in the Bible is the story of Elijah against the prophets of Baal. And it's interesting because the people wanted to follow Baal. Baal was a god that has nothing to do with God himself. It's, it, there's only two gods. It's, it's either God or Satan. And Satan, what he does is he, he creates everything else to go away from God. So there was these prophets that were prophesying and talking that God is, is their God is Baal. And Elijah says, okay, well, let's find out. Today, we're going to have a competition. We're going to see whose God is the greatest. And if our God, my God wins, then you guys serve my God. If your God wins, then you guys go serve their God. And that's what we're going to do. So they got together on top of a mountain and they said, all right, here's what we're going to do. Put this sacrifice on this altar and that altar, well, you guys pray first and talk to your God and tell him to send fire down from heaven and burn up this altar. And so they, there they were. They were crying and shouting and praying and jumping up and down. And, and, you know, and, and Elijah was making fun of them. Hey, you know, maybe he's asleep. <laughs> so, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you need to wake him up. Maybe you need to you know, cry louder. And they started to cry louder and making all kinds of noise and screaming. And they did this for most of the day. And then he says, you know, maybe he's not paying attention to you. Maybe he doesn't think you're serious. So they started to cut themselves. They started to all these various things to try to get this, th- their God to burn this offering. And all of a sudden they were just hired and they, they gave away and said, all right, my turn. Here, do this for me. Dig a, dig a moat around this sacrifice. Okay, now put seven or I don't know how many, seven uh, big bottles of water over this. Just drench this, this altar. And drench, make sure there's a lot of water on there. And make sure, and I want you guys to know that I'm just gonna call out to God. He says, God, show yourself and who you are. And a huge flame from fire came down and consumed, not only just caught it on fire, but just burnt it away and burnt all the water away, and it started to kill some of the prophets of Baal. And this was the Elijah that kept telling people, I tell you, man, I told you, God is going to punish you. Turn and turn to God. And Unfortunately for Elijah at that time, he got really scared and he got really depressed and he went into the wilderness because he thought that uh, Queen Jezebel was going to get him and kill him. And, you know, and God says, what's wrong with you? I mean, it's that's that's a whole different, interesting story. However, the point is is that God is going to send somebody, this Elijah like prophet. A lot of people think it was John the Baptist. A lot of people think that there's still another one to come. And in Micah chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Second sign is a worldwide rebellion against God and His word. And we read in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, 1, Let no one deceive you in any way, for the day of the Lord will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Third, the day of the Lord will not come until an Antichrist is revealed. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, once again, The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes a seat in the temple of God. This Antichrist is the desecration of the temple. And what he's going to desecrate, as I mentioned earlier, this temple has to be built. And he will not show himself, and he will not do this until, uh, the, end of, the end won't come until he shows himself. Fourth, the uh, the nations will begin to assemble in the Valley of Decision. There's going to be a battle. Some people call it the Battle of Armageddon. There's going to be this huge battle that the armies are all going to come together. They're going to go up against Israel. They're going to go up against this nation. that is going, And all these nations are going to come up against Israel. And that has to happen first before the day of the Lord comes. Another another sign is um, dramatic signs in heaven that you'll see in the skies. I, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but this month there are two full moons. It happens every once in a while. I think the next one's going to happen in, um, uh, I forget, in 2030 or something like that. But it's, it's what we call a, a blue moon. But these are two super moons that happened right at the first of August, and there's another one that's going to happen at the end of August. And it doesn't happen too often. You get one full moon a month every 30 days. So you get one somewhere in the month. But this is the first time in a long time, and it happens quite a bit every several years or so. But it's going to be signs, something similar to that, where the moon actually turns to blood, where the stars seem to fall out of the sky, where where the darkness just covers the earth in the middle of the day. And uh, th- there's going to be this, these eclipses that are going to take place this uh, here in a couple of months or so, where there's going to be like three or four different eclipses, or three, three eclipses that take place in various places. And so these are just signs that uh, that have come up. The sun and the moon are darkened and the stars would draw the shining. It's, it's, it's part of what Will happen during that time. You see, all of these things that are to take place, all of these things will happen, because the Bible's already told us this. And what Paul is trying to get across in Second Thessalonians chapter five—I'm sorry, First Thessalonians five, verse eight—part uh, of the scripture that we read today. Read this with me. It's in your outlines. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. The purpose of this, of knowing this, is to build one another up is to encourage one another, is to help one another. Understand that yes, I know you're going through some hard times. Yes, I know that it's devastating. I know the 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 severity of your pain and and the sickness and the illness that you've gone through, and those things that you're losing and and uh, have lost your your health, your vigor, whatever be, your finances. I understand that, but you know what? There's coming a day of the Lord, and before that happens. He's going to take us out of here. Jesus is coming back for us. He's coming back for us. You know why? Because if you look right there in the third sentence, for God has not destined us for wrath. We're not going to go through this wrath. And this is kind of the point where, this is kind of the part where I help people understand from this, from this verse right here and many others. See, there are some people that believe that we have to go through the tribulation. And at the end of the tribulation, we get raptured. And then Jesus comes right back down with us. And there's some people that believe that we have to, that we're going to get raptured in the middle of the tribulation. That's mid tribulation rapture, post tribulation rapture. But then there's those of us that believe that there's going to be a, a pre tribulation rapture. Because this verse is teaching us, for God has not destined us for wrath. In other words, this wrath has got, that God is going to pour out on the world, on the people that aren't His. It's not for us. It's for those that want nothing to do with God. And so Paul is encouraging them. Look, I, I understand that you're, you're concerned about those that have died and gone, you know, gone on before you. You're concerned about the day of the Lord coming already. You'll see it. It's going to happen. You know that. We, we read the Old Testament. And we, you, you've heard these messages. We talked to you about this, Paul says. You know these things are going to happen. However, it doesn't happen until these things come to fruition. These things have to happen, first of all. And once that happens, you gotta, you got to realize that uh, you're not going to be here. As a matter of fact, on the things that we will talk about next week, the end times, the church is out of the picture. Okay? The Holy Spirit, He who holds back the lawless one, is taken out. And because we are part of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in us, not part of the Holy Spirit, but He is in us, He resides in us, then we are going to be taken up with Him. And everything that happens after that, doesn't concern us. It doesn't really. And so the question that was asked to me here just this last week, so, so why study it? <laughs> why even go over it? Why even you know, labor and, and understand? Why, why, why do we have to understand it? Well, first of all, because we're talking about the day of the Lord. God, Paul is talking about the day of the Lord. We need to know about the day of the Lord. Second of all, he says that we need to encourage one another with these things. We need to know what's going to happen. And recognize that we don't have to go through that. But most importantly, beloved, you need to know this because you want your loved ones to know that they don't want to be caught sleeping. They don't want, they don't want to be caught without any kind of warning. Just imagine how awful it feels for somebody to break into your house. You want to be ready. You can have all the Alarms and you know security and dogs and you can have all you know but your house can still get broken into. And just you know the times that we have been violated that we we really feel violated. Somebody was in my house. Somebody took my was in my car. Ah, just it just, and that ugly feeling, multiply that times ten thousand. Beloved, you need to know this so that you can warn those that you love. And you know unfortunately for many. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to say, do you really believe that? Well, it doesn't matter what I believe. It's what the word says. Do you really think that? You know, I'm going to go to heaven, really. Where's the fruit? Where's the evidence? We need to know this because it's in the scripture. Let me have you turn to Revelation chapter 1. Last book in the Bible. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 3. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Got it? Say, got it. got it. Got it? Okay. Found it? Very good. What does it say? Okay, let's do that all together. <laughs> I was we do that all together. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Here's what John said. Jesus told told John, he says, John, write this down. I I want people to know this because when they read this, they're going to be blessed. And when they read it out loud, not only are the ones who read it, read it out loud, but but also those who hear it. If you know what's going to happen, and and this is the very first portion of the book of Revelation and everything else just unfolds from that point forward. John told his disciples, Jesus told John to tell the disciples that they, need, they will be blessed. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I like to get blessed. How about you? Amen? When he says blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, I, I, I think that, you know, at least in the way I see that, is when I read it out loud, God says I'm being blessed. But when you hear it being read out loud, you also get blessed. And I, I want to be a blessing and I want you to be blessed and, and blessed. And, and the word blessed is charisma, is happiness. You know, you're excited about what's going to happen, not because of all the devastation, but because you know that you're not going to be there. And you're blessed because you have the cure for this planet. Let me tell you something. Let me ask you something. If you all of a sudden found the cure for cancer, you know, you just take this one pill and cancer is gone. Wouldn't you tell somebody? Wouldn't you go out and just share it with everybody you could? Look, I found the cure. I found it, and all you have to do is take, check it out. It doesn't hurt you, just take it and cancer's gone. You have the cure for this world. And the more and what you've heard today, what you've heard today, what the Word of God says, you know more right now than most of the people around your influence. You have just learned a little bit more than anybody else that that knows about the Word of God. They don't know when it's going to happen. They've heard it. Nobody wants to hear it. They're afraid. Somebody told me last week, oh, I'm afraid to hear all that stuff. Why? Why are you afraid? You shouldn't be. This is encouraging to you, to the church, and we should hear it. But not only that, we should read it. We should read it out loud, and we should listen to it. So as I mentioned, Next week, we're going to get a little bit more into, into this portion of Scripture as we start to unfold a little bit. Paul just goes over it. He's not teaching on the last day. He's not teaching at the end time the way John does in the book of Revelation or the way uh, Ezekiel does or the way Daniel did. He's not, that's not what he's doing here. He's comforting the people. But we're going to stop for just a moment. And then when we get to 2 Thessalonians, we'll probably explode expound on it a little bit more. And we'll, we'll learn a little bit more about what that means. And I was kind of at a crossroads. I didn't know if I was going to stop right here and just go to Revelation and just you know, kind of put that all aside. But I, 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 think, I believe that this is how the Lord wants us to go, is to at least get an idea of what Paul is talking about and then take some time later and really dive into it as far as what uh, Paul talks about and John talks about and the rest of the people and Jesus talks about. Amen. Let me ask you to stand. First of all, the day of the Lord is unknown. But, and we don't know when it's going to happen, but we know it's going to happen. It's been unveiled. And we, we see that Paul says it's going to happen like a thief. It's going to happen unexpectedly. It's going to happen. But before all that happens, there are some things that have to take place. The first, most important, biggest sign is the rapture. One day you'll be sitting there with a crowd of people and boom, half the people are going to be gone. That video that you saw a little while ago, I think that was an overestimation. I don't really think that that many people are going to be gone from a church. (laughs) That's just my pessimistic view. But that was a very good picture, amen? The, The whole purpose of this is, number one, for us to be ready. Thank you, brother. The whole purpose of this is for us to share with other people and tell others, Jesus is coming. And here's what they're going to tell you. People have been saying that for a long time. People have been saying that forever. Well, in God's timetable, it was just a second ago. It was just a second ago. It didn't happen, you know. For God, there is no time. He sees time all in one spot, one line, just like that. That's how he sees time. There is no clock in heaven. And what he desires is for you to know. What Jesus Christ did for you. He died on the cross for you. He died on the cross so that you wouldn't have to pay that penalty. My sin had to be dealt with. The Bible says that all of us, there's none of us that are righteous, no, not one. There is no one who seeks after God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When you understand that you're a sinner, then you respond to the Savior. And many people cannot respond to the Savior because they believe that they're not a sinner. I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I, I, don't, I don't do bad things. Well, if you've lied at least once, the Bible says, you know what? You've already committed all, the, all the, the sins in the world. You've broken every commandment. If you break just one, it's like breaking all of them. And I'm already violated. I, I was violated from the very beginning when I was let off on parole. <laughs> you know, when I, when I got to the age of understanding, I was dead in my trespasses. God had to wake me up. God has to wake you up. And when you come to that understanding that you are a sinner, you repent. And you yell out and you cry out to the Lord, "Have mercy on me, Lord." And he gives you salvation. Once you do that, then you can partake of our what we call the Lord's Supper. This is not just for anybody. It's those it's for those that have been saved. Those that understand that they have they have been a, that they were a sinner, that they are now in the body of Christ. And so we take this bread and we drink this juice to say, I thank you, Lord, for putting your body on the cross for me, for shedding your blood for me. But if you haven't come to that understanding yet, if you don't understand what has happened in your life, then what happens is that you, the Bible says that you take it as part of a sin and you bring destruction upon yourself. Let's, uh, let me turn to I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians. In chapter 11, he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We do the the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table once a month on the first Sunday of the month as a symbol of our salvation. And we also do baptisms, what we're going to have today, as a symbol of our salvation. This symbolizes what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. As we take our cup and communion and, and wafer, we recognize that it's not given us anything new or anything more. It's just a command that Jesus Christ said that we ought to do. Drinking of the juice doesn't turn into blood. It doesn't automatically turn into blood. It's just juice. It's a symbol. Just like baptism. Baptism is a symbol of my commitment to Christ. You are dead in Christ and resurrected in Christ. And so those are the two important symbols that we have in our church. And we practice that because we recognize what Jesus Christ done for us. So I'm going to ask you at this moment to go and, and partake, take a of juice and a wafer and then meet us here? And Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this wafer that represents your body. We know that this is not your actual body. We know that by taking this doesn't give us any extra privileges or power or or anything else or any extra grace we know that we do this because you have commanded us to do so and to remember you every time we do so thank you once again we pray in Jesus name and everyone says take in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me Father in heaven, thank you for this juice that represents your body. The color and the consistency and how it looks. And Lord, it represents a very good picture of your blood. So we pray, Father, that you continue to help us to understand more and more the sacrifice that you did for us. Bless this juice and the vine that it comes from, we pray. In Jesus' name, And everyone says, amen. Amen. We thank you, Lord, for today. And we expect your return soon. We pray that you continue to help us as we look to, to you and we look at the, your second coming. To encourage one another and to be encouraged ourselves. So Father, as we continue with the rest of our service in worship, we commit it to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. and Amen. All right. If you would like to stick around, we have a baptism coming up real quickly. And uh, if you guys can go get ready if the, the one in red can follow the one in orange. Right? Yeah, the one in red follow the one in orange. <laughs> and uh, we'll be outside waiting for you guys. And from that point forward, let's, uh, let's move forward. I'll be out here if you'd like to have a word of prayer.